Hey everyone, this episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by Libro.fm. As you know, we at Books and Boba are strong proponents of supporting your local independent bookstores, but unfortunately, due to obvious reasons, it's been hard to get out lately. That's where Libro.fm comes in. Libro.fm is the first audiobook company to make it possible for customers to purchase audiobooks through their local booksellers of choice. They offer over 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and hundreds of bookseller recommendations. And each purchase goes to support one of their 1,100 plus independent bookstore partners. Audiobooks are a perfect way to work through the TBR list of yours while doing chores, walking the dog, or just staying safe at home. All you need is a smartphone with the Libro FM app. Listeners of Books and Boba can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one by going to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the code Books and Boba. With each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting your local bookstore as well as Books and Boba. Again, to access your two-for-one promo deal, um, go to Libro.fm and enter the code Books and Boba. And now to our show. Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today for our mid-month episode for the month of July. July. (laughs) July 2020. Rira, how are you doing? Uh I'm I'm good. I can't believe that we're already like halfway into July. Um honestly, it feels like July just started. I know, right? Also, I realized that um, because Marvin and I used to record in the studio, I used to see Marvin like twice a month in person, but we haven't <laughs> seen, <laughs> we haven't seen each other in like uh, in a, ever since March. I don't think we've seen each other. So. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. I think the last time we saw each other was when we were recording. What was our March? What would what was our February book even? Oh, my God. Was it Map of uh, Salt? No, Map of Salt and Stars was was after. It was, yeah. I think it was May. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I don't, I don't it, even... it was such a long time ago. I mean, I can just look it up right now. Let me just look it up right now because <laughs> the internet exists. I don't want to be one of those people who like don't know how Google works. Uh, let's see. You know that uh, there's like this uh, website where you put in a Google link and then you send it you send it to someone who asks you a question, right? Like they could totally Google yeah, so it. Let, let me Google that for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, Back when I was in grad school, I would send that to my classmates who would ask me dumb questions. They can just Google themselves. Um, yeah, was- I use that quite a lot <laughs> in college as well. Our February book club pick was the Kiss Quotient. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the one we recorded with um, your friend Caitlin, that was our last, the last time we saw each other. That's wow. Yeah, I feel like um these past few months has um reinforced the idea that I'm pretty okay with staying at home all the time, which is something I didn't really know about myself or didn't remember about myself. What's your what's your Meyer Briggs, by the way? I know it's I, I know it's complete <laughs> I know it's complete bullshit, but uh 
you know, it, it does give me like a good handle on whether someone is uh, really extroverted or introverted. So my thing with the Myers-Briggs is like, so if I take the test, I usually test at an ENFP, which is like the uber extrovert. But because of the people I work with, I'm often forced to take the opposite um, characteristics. So people are often surprised that I am an ENFP. Because they always- I, I was surprised too, um, <laughs> because you know, like your co-host used to be Minji. Uh, the um, she does now. She now does first of all, which is <laughs> which is one of the podcasts in our podcast collective, and uh, like she's she's definitely like more extroverted. She's an actress, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty surprised once I started co-hosting with you. Uh, I thought it was just going to be two introverts talking about books, but that. <laughs> Total, that totally was not the case. I mean, the, the thing with like introvert extroverts is it's not really outgoingness isn't the it's a trait of extroverts, but it's not it's more of a symptom than like a core thing. Right. Um, extroverts just means like if I'm out with people I like, I can stay out all night. Socializing gives me energy instead of expending energy. I mean, I think that's the, the core difference. So mm-hmm. I um, but. But what I found is I do gain energy from socializing even online with people. So um, I don't need that face-to-face to be energized. It's but- the complete opposite for for me. <laughs> um, I mean, like my Meyer Briggs is on Twitter. So a lot of people probably know already, but <laughs> I'm, uh, I've tested as INTJ. Mm. And uh, socializing is definitely not my strong point. Uh, Every time I do go out, like to Asian American like shindigs, people are always surprised that I'm there because because like, I because <laughs> I really really I really don't go out. I'm pretty much a unicorn if you see me out and about. Uh, so I've definitely adapted to uh, the whole self isolation thing yeah. better than others. I mean, it helps that there's a lot of media to enjoy at home. So I've been binging a lot. Um, I, I've been I playing about Final this. Fantasy like for the past <laughs> <laughs> for the past three weeks. Nice. I recently, and I talked about this on some of the other podcasts that I'm on. Um, I binged a shit ton of content this past week. So I watched The Old Guard on Netflix. I watched all three seasons of Dark. I watched the first season of Umbrella Academy. I watched both current seasons of Food Wars, the um the horny food anime, and then I went online and read the rest of the manga series. So um. It's been dang, dang, yeah. Marvin. <laughs> I have unhealthy binge habits, which is why I try not to binge as much as possible. Because um, once I start something, I will finish it. It's like it's not even it's not even a uh, a question. And then I will spend the next ten hours reading think pieces and analysis. So, which is why, like, when you were watching Killing Eve as it was airing, uh, <laughs> it definitely curbed that addiction. <laughs> I know, um, but I've fallen behind on Killing Eve, so now I have a whole season to binge later. So, oh, it's so good, I'm Marvin. Excited about that. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with books too, right? I typically read books in like as few sittings as possible because uh, because I have um, zero self control, and if you give me the chance to just you know stay up all night and read something or finish something, I will take that chance. It's the same with video games. It's the same with TV, movies. And especially in COVID times where like time has no meaning anymore, um, it's it's been especially like exasperated. Yeah, I'm kind of similar in that way because I do tend to read books in as like fewer sittings as possible. 
Um, but like lately I've been trying to curb that because there's just so many books out lately. So I'm trying to read like maybe 10 pages per, uh, per day of like one book. And then the next day I'll, I'll read like 10 pages of that book. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm slowly trying to make my way to my TBR list. So Yeah. Well, um, speaking of TBR lists, uh, we're here to let everyone know about all the books that you're about to add to your TBR list. Because even though the world seems to have slowed down due to COVID, the publishing industry has not. Um, and there's there's a there's a ton of book deals. It never stops. <laughs> all right. So let's get started. Um, Rira, why don't you tell us about the first book deal? All right. In a six-figure deal, Salam Reads acquired Hannah Elkoff's YA novel, Queen of the Tiles. When cryptic messages begin appearing on a dead girl's social media account during an international Scrabble championship in Malaysia, a girl must investigate the mysterious circumstances of her best friend's death and uncover the truth before a would-be killer strikes again. Publication is scheduled for spring 2022. This feels like a, like a thriller. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, this definitely sounds like it's going to be my jam because it has... Um, well, one, Scrabble. Yeah, I love Scrabble. The, because of the murder, because of the Scrabble. <laughs> yes. You know me so well, Marvin. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it sounds really, really cool. Um, it reminds me of, oh God, there was this one really bad uh, horror slash thriller movie that I watched like a, a long time ago. And it was about like uh, this one girl who befriends like this antisocial girl. And then the antisocial girl... Um, uh, she kills herself, but her social media account is still going. And she's like, I guess like the ghost of her is attacking like the girl's other friends and stuff. It was a really bad movie, but it kind of reminds me of that. Is that the one where it all takes place on the computer screen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I think it's called Unfriended, right? Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. It was a bad movie, but I had a great time. All right, next up, in another six-figure deal, Thomas and Mercer acquired world English rights to Choose Me, a standalone novel by best-selling authors Tess Gerritsen and Gary Braver. The thriller follows Boston detective Frances Frankie Loomis as she unravels the cause of the death of a college student named Taryn Moore. Loomis's investigation uncovers the dark side of Taryn's relationships, including an obsessive affair with her professor and mentor. Gerritsen is the author of 29 suspense novels, including the Resilient Isle series, which was adapted for TV by TNT. Another murder book. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't know if Hannah's book is about a college student. So I don't know if it's like both murder <laughs> mysteries about, about college students. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely like if anyone has followed our book club podcast for any period of time, you should know that we are definitely down for the detective story. Um, I think a good half of our book picks have been detective fiction, or at least it feels like it. So um, definitely right up our alley. It's been like maybe a quarter. I do <laughs> try my best to diversify our genres at the very least. Mm. Um, next up, Abrams bought world rights to Little Red Riding Hood and the Dragon by Ying Chang Compostine. Illustrated by Joy Ang, the picture book retelling relocates the fairy tale in China, where it was really the dragon who ate Little Red, not the wolf, 
and Red is a kung fu fighter who doesn't need rescuing. Publication is slated for spring 2023. What do you feel about these like retellings of fairy tales? I mean, is there a, is there a fairy tale that's similar to Little Red Riding Hood in Chinese culture? There is actually. Um, it's a lot darker. Um, which I guess fairy tales are in general. The versions that we are used to in, I guess, American culture are the um, sanitized version of a lot of these fairy tales, right? Um, I remember there's a version of the story. It's a Chinese fable where there's, I think, two kids who go visit their grandmothers. And the grandmother's been like replaced by, I don't know if it's a wolf or some sort of creature. And they actually end up eating one of the kids. And I remember because they made the younger brother or sister into like little fritters or something. I remember being really, really like creeped out when I listened <laughs> to the story uh, back when I was a kid. Because it came on a, um, I used to have a book of fables that came with a, um, like a cassette tape. And it would be in Chinese and I would listen to stories. And like this one was extra gruesome. And I remember, I don't remember the details, but I remember like, one of the kids got literally like chopped up and ate. So, ah, um, yeah, <laughs> that's not something. It, that's not something a child should see. And yet, and yet, and yet. <laughs> Next up, Yihu Press acquired World English and Simplified Chinese Rights to Yoko and Emma by Aiko Ikigami. The picture book is about two young friends of different races who find a way to play together, even when they are different. Publication is planned for spring 2021 in the U.S. and mainland China. So this sounds like a picture book that uh, that is very relevant to di- to today's <laughs> climate. Yeah, I mean, you know, since it comes from Japan, um, I think Japanese culture is pretty homogenous. So a picture book about you know better race relations is good, and I think it's it just goes to show that it's a global issue that hopefully can be addressed through teaching the young people, the young people, the kids to you know. Um, be uh, more tolerant. You know, like kids, like they aren't born racist. <laughs> it's something that, like, um, I, I guess, like stereotypes and racism. That's kind of taught to children, whether it's through their parents or through just paying attention to their environment. And um, you know, like, like the younger the kid, they're not gonna really know what what race relations are so yeah yeah all right next up random house graphic acquired mika song's middle grade graphic novel night chef restaurants around the world know of the legend a raccoon in search of her master chef that travels from kitchen to kitchen in the middle of the night creating new dishes and cooking the best meals but is there a chance the legend might be real publication is planned for 2022 Ratatouille with a raccoon. That's what exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds pretty cool. Um, it's a graphic novel, so I ex- yeah. I expect some really cute art and some great food art too. Man, Ratatouille was. I I did not like it when I watched it. Really, um, I really liked it, but I tried showing it to my niece who was like five at the time, and she fell asleep. She was so bored, um, and I think she was mad at me for not. Because she knows I had Frozen too, 
And she was very mad that I didn't show her Frozen. Well, your niece has bad taste because, <laughs> <laughs> because even though I did not like Ratatouille, I would probably pick Frozen over Ratatouille. But I was I was really grossed out because I was like, it, it's a mouse. And well, rat, but the rat also washes his hands. So, you know, but they're fur. They need to take a shower. <laughs> I don't uh, know. If, maybe it's because uh, I was living in New York at the time, and I was like, "This, this ain't gonna fly." Yeah, like, your sorry. East Coast rats are huge. <laughs> I remember seeing one when I was in Maryland, and it was the, literally the size of a puppy. There, okay. So <laughs> there was a there was like a scientific study not that long ago, and uh, they tested uh, rats and mice from different boroughs and different areas in Manhattan, and all of them have like different genes. So you can tell you can tell if a mouse came from like the Upper West Side compared to uh, a mouse in like Brooklyn, because really? something about like their diet and evolution. I don't know how science. Well, yeah, works, like but... Upper West Side rats eat caviar and you know the finest salmon or whatever, and then oh yeah, the they're, Brooklyn they're mice eat you know microbrews and kombucha. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, our next deal, Harper Alley. Bought in a preempt, World English Rights to Lunar Boy by Jessica and Jacinta Wibowo, um, illustrators of Weirdo. Um, the middle grade graphic novel follows Indu, a boy from the moon who deals with culture shock, familial struggle, and first crushes when his mother marries and moves them to Earth. Publication is set for 2023. It's kind of sad to think about in the future, there's going to be probably moon racism. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in terms of like, oh, they... Like, they're not Earthling. Yeah. They don't... Okay. Right? If you think about it, that's the natural progression of the human state. If we ever make it to other planets, we're going to be super racist to people from other planets, aren't we? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, have you have you watched Gundam Seed by any chance? I haven't seen Gundam Seed. I've seen Gundam Wing and the original, like, UC Gundams. Okay, so, like, Gundam Seed... Uh, is probably like one of my favorite Gundams because I think it has like one of the most compelling storylines. And uh, it takes place in a world where um, uh, where you can like genetically engineer babies. So you can like manipulate their genes to make them uh, faster, smarter, and whatnot. And most of these uh, genetically um, engineered babies, they live in space. They live in space colonies. And a lot of the Earthlings, they kind of see them as unnatural um, because they're like, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't mess with genes and whatnot. So um, Gundam Seed pretty much is set during a war between Earth and the space colonies, mainly because of racism. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean- it's a very it's a very <laughs> cool story. I, I would recommend diving into that Gundam series if you're, if you're new to Mecha, <laughs> Mecha lore. I mean. A war between Earth and the colonies is basically the story of every Gundam series ever. Yeah, but like, but but like, it's about like, you you know, it's about like what makes you human and mm. bridging di- uh, differences because the main character is a genetically engineered uh, uh, human. Like they call them coordinators, but like he's fighting for the Earthling side originally because his friends are Earthlings and mm. they didn't know. Yeah, it's just like a lot. <laughs> of story and um yeah it just kind of reminds me of that uh do you think space colonies and the moon um will be populated by just rich white people 
Because mm. they're the ones with the money right now. I too. think it depends on why people are going off planet, right? If it's to live, probably the rich people. But if it's to work, they're going to probably find people to ship over like through indentured servitude or contracts or, you know, I think there's still going to be the same relationships um, because assuming capitalism survives this whole pandemic situation, <laughs> um, the ruling classes are still going to need people to exploit, to mine resources, right? And to work and to manufacture. So I don't know. I think it'll be a combination, but I think the <laughs> the relationships between, you know, the rich and the poor are going to stay the same. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Uh, next up, Levine Querido bought the picture book The Big House and the Little House, written by Yoshi Ueno and illustrated by Emiko Fujishima. Originally published in Japanese, this picture book is about the friendship that develops between a shy bear and a shy mouse who live on the same road when the two are brave enough to introduce themselves to one another. Publication is planned for spring 2021. A lot of... um translator works this time around huh yeah i wonder if it's good timing or if it has anything to do with the current situation we find ourselves in well you know how publishing works it's like two three years in advance <laughs> so this deal must have happened like two years ago that's true um oh my god speaking of translated uh picture books um kiki's delivery service the original uh japanese picture book series got translated and now it's available in english and I'm so stoked to read it because Kiki's Delivery is probably like my favorite uh, Ghibli film. So, how many Ghibli films have you watched? Honestly, two. What? <laughs> it's a blind spot for sure. I, I, I thought you were a weeb just like me. Like, I mean, I feel so betrayed right now. <laughs> I watch a ton of stuff. It's just. I watched a lot of Ghibli when I was a kid, so I don't remember a lot of them. I know for sure I've seen Totoro and Spirited Away. Oh, man. Um, and the others I might have seen, but I don't remember. You need to add that to your uh, binge list. Because... I mean, should I watch that before or after Avatar The Last Airbender? <laughs> um, I think you should just watch the Ghibli films because they're a lot shorter. Mm. So. And they're not serialized, so you're done after like you're you're because they're animated films. You're done in like ninety minutes. That's true. There's so many things to watch right now. But it's so relaxing to watch Ghibli films. I think okay, if enough people yell at me on Twitter uh, after this episode, I'll consider just like watching all of them. You need to at least watch Howl's Moving Castle because mm. that's the one that won um, an Oscar. Well, Spirited Away also won an Oscar, but I'm pretty sure Howl's Moving Castle also won an Academy Award. Mm, yeah, it's definitely one of my pop culture blind spots. So, uh, yeah, it's it's on my list to rectify. It's just, um, it's just I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm waiting to get um, which service was it that has all the Ghibli films? Was it HBO Max or is it um something else? Is it Peacock? I uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I know one of them has the collection, so uh, maybe I'll consider just, you know, buying the bullet and then taking a look. <laughs> um, anyways, next up, 
Penguin Team Canada acquired North American rights to the tentatively titled Gerostan by debut author Humayun Khan. The book follows Fawad, a teen boy living in Toronto, who comes of age with one eye on basketball and the other on the affluent neighborhood across the street. Publication is slated for spring 2022. Hey, I like the title, Ghetto Stan. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited Clutter. that it's a book that takes place in Toronto, which is where I was born. So that's that's cool. <laughs> you still have your Canadian citizenship, right? I do. Um, keeping them in my back pocket just in case, you know, things go to crap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish Korea had dual citizenship, but unfortunately you have to give up a citizenship by the time you're 21, I think. Um, be- because of their mandatory military service. Oh, so, that's true. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I remember like just passing uh, through customs because I didn't become an American citizen until I was like 19 or 20. But now it goes through customs whenever I go. So <laughs> sucks. All right. Next up, Harper Collins bought The Prince of Nowhere, a debut middle grade fantasy by Rochelle Hassan. Pitched as When You Reach Me meets Hal's Moving Castle, Marvin, this standalone story follows a girl and a shapeshifter who must travel to a mysterious place called Nowhere and work together to save the future from a villain who is obsessed with the past. Publication is scheduled for summer 2022. That sounds cool. I love a good time travel um, story uh, because, I don't know, there's something about paradoxes and how they address them. It's a real test of the writer's skill of keeping a whole shit ton of things um, organized, you know? Yeah. I mean, it depends. Time travel stories can just not make sense. And then that's disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) But I really do um, like that trope, time travel. Mm. Especially when it's like to younger kids. Yeah. Yeah. You got to... Again, train them young to understand complex things like um, paradoxes and um, the nonlinear flow of time. It, it's probably why Doctor Who is such a hit with families because <laughs> uh, kids can enjoy it too. All right. Next up, FSG bought in an exclusive submission. This could have been a love story by former animation executive Brandon Hong. The debut contemporary YA follows a Vietnamese-American boy who, in order to gain acceptance from his male peers, befriends the most beautiful girl in school. Gloria Buenrosto. 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 I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, when Gloria finds out about his deception, he is forced to confront how he's allowed his friend's toxic masculinity to sabotage his relationship with the best friend he's ever had. Publication is set for fall 2022. Hmm. I'm glad that it's tackling toxic masculinity for uh, younger readers. I think that's something that doesn't come up a lot when it comes to, uh, I guess, just, I mean, Asian parents don't really teach their kids about, about like sex ed even, and just how to, just how to treat, uh, how to treat girls and consent. That's not really part of, um, like it's not really part of the conversation. It just never comes up. To and be fair, I don't think it's actually. I don't think it's that's limited to just Asian parents, though. I think oh, that's I, just I a general failing of our um, American society. Yeah, and like, um, I'm I'm glad that it's tackling the subject when uh, towards like younger readers because uh, they can learn at a young age how I don't know how their behavior can hurt someone. Yeah, and. Uh, 
Yeah. All right. Our last book deal is Dial has acquired world rights to Katrina Moore's picture book, Sometimes Love, as well as a second untitled picture book manuscript. The story is an exploration of love, how it changes, how it grows, and how it knows to let go through the lens of a girl in a military family and her beloved dog. And uh, there is no publication date yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if I know of a lot of stories, especially for young readers, about kids from military families. And I, I know um, from having friends who did grow up in the DD system um, that it's a really interesting way to grow up because you're essentially like a third culture kid, even though you go to American schools and, and you, you live with Americans. Uh, yeah, I don't really know that many people who come from military families, so mm. I can only imagine how um, frustrating it is when you're a kid and you're moving school so often yeah. and have to like resituate yourself every single time. Sounds really tough. It's definitely a unique perspective, and um, I don't know. It's, it's cool that this book is exploring that. All right, that's a wrap on book deals. We're going to move on to book news. <laughs> Uh, first piece of news, uh, Daniel Day Kim optioned J.C. Lee's rom-com novel, A Sweet Mess, and is attached to star in the project. Um, J.C.'s book, A Sweet Mess, we've mentioned it in like, was it, was it the last mid-month episode? I, I don't remember, but it just came out. I think it came out on the 14th this, uh, of this week. So it's a very, um, it's a very recent novel. And it follows a pampered socialite who, uh, who is now a small town baker and who um, has a one night stand, um, an amazing one night stand. And it turns out that the one night stand is this celebrity food critic who totally wrote like a trash review of her bakery based on a misunderstanding and uh, he decides to make it up to her by having her guest star on his cooking show. So, um, yeah, it sounds, sounds really fun. Uh, Daniel Day Kim playing, I'm guessing that he's playing the love interest because the uh, love interest is like a swoony Korean-American guy. <laughs> and uh, JC said, I wrote a sweet mess to share a story featuring Asian-Americans as main characters to show them as fellow Americans who laugh, cry, and love. Now everyone will be able to see a sweet mess come to life on screen. My heart is bursting. So if I remember correctly, this book is a romance novel, right? Yeah, it's a rom-com. So it's in the vein of like the kiss quotient. So my question is, how horny do you think this will be? Okay, I just said one night stand. I think <laughs> it's going to be pretty horny. <laughs> Um, but I know, like, we we follow JC on Twitter, and I know that her road to publishing has been a really long one. Um, I know that she wrote eight books before she finally got published. So um, definitely was a persistent person, and it just shows that hard work and persistence does uh, pay off in the end. Yeah, I'm excited that, um, I mean, I feel like a lot of books have been getting picked up as, like, at least getting option for series like really quickly. And I don't know if it's a, it's a result. Well, it's like of a just, publishing thing. Like they, they try to get things optioned around like the same time as the book comes out. Yeah. But I wonder if it's like an indirect um, consequence of Crazy Rich Asians being such a huge success, because I feel like I don't remember seeing so many Asian American stories being picked up 
at this rate. In the oh yeah, past, I'm, I'm pretty sure like because because of how publishing works, you're like working two years in advance. Yeah. So uh, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, it came out what like how how many years have how many years has two it been? Two years like, ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah, two years ago at this point. So I'm guessing because of that success. Uh, that's why a lot of um, agents and a lot of uh, film companies are optioning these stories. And um, I, I know, like, was it was our was it our last episode? Um, Dial A for Aunties by yeah. Jesse Q. Suntato was also picked up. Um, right. I, I think it was for a movie or was it a series? I, I don't remember, but it got picked up. And that's also a recent book. Uh, actually, that that's actually never mind. That book is coming out in April twenty twenty one. Never mind. Yeah, it's not. It's not even. It's not even out yet. And, you know, the the news that it got picked up as a series was like a month after we announced its publishing deal. Right? Like the timeline has become so so accelerated, and and I think it's really cool that authors now have this opportunity. I like. I think. Um, isn't Lovable Taipei also being made into like a film or something? Yeah, like, that got picked up. Uh, I know um, Goodbye Vitamin. I mean, it's not a romance novel, but uh, that got picked up and Constance Wu is uh, attached to it. Yeah. Um, what I'm, else? I mean, even recently, um, Sanya Menon um, announced that um, Netflix India has an adaptation of When Dimple Met Rishi um, called Mismatched. I didn't even know this was happening. Did, did we... Did we ever report this or? No, no. Yeah. I like when you told me uh, yesterday, I was really surprised because I totally thought that that would be, you know, more publicized. But I guess because it's Netflix India, it didn't really get, I don't know, publicized here in the States. Or maybe it just wasn't on our radar. But I mean, that's a huge deal. I mean, when Dilma Marishi is, has been, I mean, Sanya Menon's, I guess, unofficial series of books has been on our radar since. I think the beginning of our book club. So um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about um, like the prospect. Like <laughs> I'm secretly holding out hope that um, Fonda Lee is making secret deals to turn Jade City into the next like HBO Prestige series. Cause I'd really like to see that world on screen. I remember in our interview with her, uh, I asked her to like, I asked her to cast her characters <laughs> Uh, I don't remember which actors she she's picked, but uh, it would be really cool if some of her uh, actor picks came true, if her series got picked up. Our, our next story, Melissa De La Cruz, who is another prolific author who's written a ton of books, um, including Something in Between, which was one of our earliest um, book club picks, um, is partnering with Disney Publishing Worldwide to launch a new studio um, intended to create and develop stories from across the Disney company. So it says, um, I, I got this news from Hollywood Reporter. It says that uh, Melissa De La Cruz's studio is going to be creating original content for uh, multiple platforms. So I'm guessing it's not just books. It's also like adaptations. And considering how humongous Disney is, it's either like for streaming or for TV or movies. Yeah. I mean, doesn't Melissa um, De La Cruz, doesn't she write like a series of Disney um, like alternate Disney storylines or something. I, I know she's worked with Disney for quite a long time, and I know a lot of other Asian American authors have written uh, Disney alternate universe stories. Um, I know Elizabeth Lim, the author of *Spin the Dawn*. Uh, she's written um, the Mulan alternate universe story for Disney, as well as the Cinderella story. 
So, um, yeah, I, I'm guessing that like Melissa De La Cruz is going to help like produce more of that type of content. I know that um, her Isle of the Lost series, uh, which is like based on Disney's The Descendants. I know that that's the series she, where it's all the kids of all the Disney princesses, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not with it when it comes to Disney. So uh, apologies. Um, and I know that she's currently writing a novel based on High School Musical, the series. So I'm guessing that's not like the original High School <laughs> Musical. I, I'm guessing that it's like a spinoff series. I mean, if there's anyone who can turn out stories at a quick pace, it's Melissa De La Cruz because she's written a ton of books, including, doesn't she have a series that's based on Alexander Hamilton? Yeah, uh, Alex and Eliza. <laughs> and also like her Blue Blood series is also a TV series. Yeah. And uh, I think her most recent book was 29 Dates. And that was about like a Korean American girl whose parents are trying to set her up on all these blind dates. <laughs> And that's currently being made into a movie. So she's been really, she's been really busy. Yeah. Well, congrats to Melissa. Uh, it's exciting news. And it's great to see um, big companies such as Disney take, um, I don't even think this is a chance, just giving someone who has a great track record an opportunity to, um, to tell more stories and to you know, support more stories. That's, that's, um, it's good I to mean, hear. they're giving her a studio, <laughs> so that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And I guess we have one more story to talk about for this episode. Rira, what's our last story? Um, so Babysitter's Club recently aired on Netflix. Uh, it aired on July 3rd. It's a 10-episode series. Um, and we've covered Babysitter's Club before when like the announcement came out and also when they cast um claudia kishi so um one of the one of the things that was like a really big deal for babysitters club the series was um how they changed the ethnicities of uh, of like the babysitters so dawn who was a white california girl she was changed to be a latina california girl uh, Marianne, who was a white girl with brown hair, she was changed to being a biracial black girl with a white dad. And um, of course, Claudia Kishi, who is Japanese American. So you have like, I think half of the Babysitter's Club be uh, like people of color. So that's like, I mean, that's really good. Um, and, I, and I've heard like great things about uh, like, other representation in the series, like the queer representation is like really strong. Um, Dawn, who originally had divorced parents, uh, she now has like two gay dads. Um, one of the teachers at their middle school, who um, is like one of the main clients for the Babysitter's Club, she's in a lesbian relationship. And there's like one episode that got a lot of praise. It was episode four. And in that episode, Marianne takes her charge, Bailey, to the hospital because Bailey has like a high fever. And uh, once they get to the hospital, the doctors misgender Bailey because Bailey is a trans girl. And Marianne confronts the doctor saying, hey, you like misgendered Bailey. Like, that's not right. So it's been praised for a lot of its progressive storylines, which is, um, you know, which is kind of refreshing for 
a kid series. I'm not sure if it's a kid series. It, it is. Sounds it's, like it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a. It's a. It's aimed at preteen and younger um, audience. Uh, have you watched any of the episodes yet? No, I. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm going to watch it because it just doesn't sound like my type of show. Mm. Um, I feel like I would like I. I really appreciate what the writers have done, and I know that it means a lot to uh, people my age who are big fans of the series. I. I did not read the series growing up, so I don't have any of that nostalgia factor going for me. But like, I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed by like how much work they put into the series to make sure um, it reflects the world that kids are living in now. Because the series is set in 2020, not the 1990s like the original series. I mean, yeah. So I've been making my way through the series, and oh, you have. Okay. What is what's interesting is like, yeah, they they did make the the cast more diverse, and it's not like a color conscious thing where it just just happens to be a person of color. Like them being a person of color, so Don being Latinx, um, Marianne being black, like it becomes a core of their character. Like Marianne's dad is played by the great Mark Evan Jackson, who people might know as um, Kevin from Brooklyn Nine Nine and Sean from The Good Place. Um, and there's a reason why she's always has her hair in pigtails and it's because it's the only hairstyle that, um, her mom taught her dad how to do. Um, and it's a great commentary on like black hair and like how that's an important thing. Um, and it's definitely aimed at kids, but the material, the story and the, the quality of the acting and just the, the strength of the performances is something that a lot of people can enjoy. And I know a lot of people our age really appreciate just watching a show with this much heart. And really, like, not pulling any punches, right? Like, there's there's certain things that they could have done better, of course. But all in all, it's a very progressive show that's done really well. Like, there's not a lot of, like, just from the first, like, half of the season that I've watched, there hasn't been any clunkers. And, you know, it's only 10 episodes, so it's it's pretty tight. But as someone who didn't read The Babysitter's Club, it's totally watchable and enjoyable. So um, I would recommend it to anyone just, who's just looking for something you know, fun and breezy to watch um, while they're on lockdown um, because it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, there's like no reason not to watch it. The episodes go really quickly. They're only about 24 minutes long and um, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I heard that there was an episode where Claudia, um, she finds out that her grandmother was in a Japanese internment camp. She was in Manzanar um, back when she was a kid. And I thought that was like a really nice touch Obviously, I've not watched the series uh, like Marvin has, but um, just hearing about that, that was, you know, we've talked about Japanese internment in previous episodes and how we've been seeing more books on that subject. Um, and it's just really nice that that part of history is being acknowledged. Uh, and it's through Netflix. It's such a world, it's a worldwide distribution. So uh, it's really nice that people who are not Japanese American, not Asian American can, you know, understand the impacts of internment in this country. Isn't there another net, uh, Netflix thing on Claudia Kishi? Uh, I I saw it on preview. It was That's like the Claudia Kishi Club. Long. That's the documentary by Suding. Ah, yeah. I see. There were, there were a couple of familiar faces in the trailer. Yeah. So. I mean, adjacent to the series, there's a documentary called The Claudia Kishi Club by Suding who is uh, a programmer at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival um, that does feature a lot of our friends, including Phil Yu, um, Angry Asian Man, um, Sarah Kuhn, um, 
a lot of familiar faces from the Asian American community are in that documentary. And that's available now on Netflix as well. So, you know, I kind of feel bad because, uh, like an as an Asian American millennial, I feel like I should feel a kinship to Claudia Kishi, but just I don't have it. I mean, Did not read the series growing up. I mean, I didn't either, but the character is really well played on the show. Um, I wonder if you watched it, if you will feel anything, because she is. I mean, the whole thing about Claudia Kishi is she was the first, like for a lot of people, she was one of the only. Um, examples of de- representation of Asians in media, right? And on top of that, she's also a bad Asian. She's not good at school. Um, she does bad at tests. She, she's not good at homework, but she um, is very colorful. She's very like, like she's an artist and she wants to pursue that, even though her parents want her to like study and like become a lawyer or whatever, um, because she has an older sister who is like the perfect Asian, good at school, super smart. And so I, I think for a lot of us who do have more artistic tendencies, she was probably one of the first places where you can see yourself in like mainstream media. Yeah. I missed out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, um, even though you haven't read the book, I think there's something you can probably see something in Claudia because she's definitely um, she's not your model minority Asian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm sure. Um, and I guess with that, that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Um, Don't forget that our July 2020 book club pick is Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Massey. Yeah. And we'll be talking about that book uh, at the end of the month. Uh, thanks so much for joining us once again for the Books and Boba mid-month uh, news roundup. Rira, I'll see you at the end of the month. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Mira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Kathy, Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me. What do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Gotcha! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?